but also I really do remind myself a lot of what even my own ancestors and stuff went through. And it puts so much perspective on my suffering, no matter what I have to go through. It's, it's just nothing compared to even what my grandparents went through. And so especially like even more so when you're sitting out on like a TV show with a tap out button and you're thinking, man, this sucks. It's like, what are you talking about? This is, we got it made right now. You know, this is, this is amazing. Monday, everybody. This is the Green Light Pod. I'm your host, Chris Long. Uh, haven't done the Monday thing in a while, but we had this interview stacked. As I told you, we have a surplus of great guests. We're getting to that point, guys, because of you, the listener, not because of me. And this is just a fucking mirage. I barely know what I'm doing. My producers would probably tell you that. Um, you guys have been spreading the word and listening. So continue to uh, subscribe, comment, do those things you do. Um, I'm not really familiar, but whatever you're doing, it's helping. A lot of people are listening and we're getting great guests like Jordan Jonas from Alone in the Arctic season six, uh, which is on Netflix now and has gotten a big boost. It came out last year late. It's gotten a big, big boost uh, because of that Netflix um, partnership and people love the show. I mean, when I, when I tell you I binged it fast, if you listen to the pod on Friday with Wania, um, who was another contestant uh, on Alone in the Arctic season six, again, on Netflix, if you listen to that pod, I told you all about why it's binge worthy. If you missed it, um, it's basically a bunch of people in the Arctic in late fall, early winter, got to make their own shelters. Uh, they are alone, if you hadn't figured that one out. And it is cold. They are hungry. They're big ass wild animals and they got to stay out there for months if you want to win. So at this point you have your spoiler alert. I think that again, after a year, you should probably just watch the fucking show, (laughs) but spoiler alert, turn back now, get to the radio, get to your little iPod, whatever you, you guys are listening to this thing on, uh, and turn it off. If you plan to see alone, um, in the Arctic season six. But if you, you haven't seen it, don't care. Maybe this will sell you on why you need to. And if you have, you'll certainly enjoy this interview with Jordan Jonas, uh, the winner of $500,000, uh, the winner of the whole damn thing lasted damn near 80 days, probably could have gone another 40, but everybody was gone. And by the way, you don't know when people are, are, uh, are done around you. I mean, the other contestants could be dropping like flies. You'd have no idea. The only people you see, are, uh, are your med check folks, which come around very rarely. And I guess your reflection on the camera, you know, that you keep uh, footage of your day to day and maybe, you know, in the ice, when you ice fish for like a pike that has to last you for 17 days, no salt, no seasoning out there. It's not, it's not a good setup. It is not ideal. So yeah, we've got him in a bit. Real quick, the NBA, man. You know, one thing I noticed watching the playoffs here, and I'm going to be fast trying to shuffle through this NBA stuff, although I am absolutely enthralled and they've done a great job. That can't be overstated. <laughs> they have kept they have kept sports fa- Like, 
bookies bookies love the nba more than they ever have i mean like there were no big four sports bets for a while uh lebron has been just as important to the east okay as the nba has been to bookies this summer traditionally lebron has kind of kept the east alive and i know we had some great celtics teams and um i just didn't realize how big of a deal it would be a seismic shift when LeBron left the East. So he leaves the East. You think, okay, KD's headed to the East. Um, you've got Kyrie, KD. You've got Giannis. Maybe you've got Kawhi. Well, Kawhi, nope. He's gone. KD, um, you know, still hurt. And, um, you know, the Nets are out of it. You have the best, maybe the best player in the league, depending on who you ask, in Milwaukee. And... He plays on a playoff underachiever right now um, that plays a brand of basketball that isn't wildly exciting in a smaller market. LeBron and Kawhi, you know, mainly LeBron, Kawhi lately with a cameo, um, really kept the East alive. It's all LeBron. I just don't want to be disrespectful to Kawhi. I love him. Um, that's totally changed. We are back to the West just being, and the West has this millennium been the more exciting brand of basketball, but the West is just right now much more entertaining to me. Okay. And I'm, I'm acknowledging that there's some very good teams in the East that we should respect. Um, Hey, the heat, the heat excite me legitimately. I don't know how good they are. I'd love to see heat rockets finals. Don't know how uh, real that is, but love to see it. I love watching Jimmy Butler. I love watching his unpredictable fucking facial expressions. And they've got shooters. Um, Spo doesn't get enough credit. Really, really good coach. It just goes to show you you can learn on the job. Not every guy who jumped from, you know, we go through this in the NFL a lot, guys that we deem maybe unworthy of having a job or didn't climb the ranks. Spolster has put in the work, and, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't take him seriously in the beginning. Because what was he a video guy? Uh, you can learn when you got a guy like Pat Riley showing you the ropes, and he doesn't get enough credit. The Raptors are great. The Raptors really are a heck of a team, um, and I respect that. No quote unquote superstar, although I really like Siakam. Um, I saw somebody tweet this weekend that um, yes, I sneak on Twitter to read tweets. Sometimes I even was so excited about Luca today. I fucking tweeted and broke my own rule. Somebody said that the Raptors are the new Spurs. Not so fast, my friend, but Nick nurse has actually made me like him, which is a miracle uh, since the day he debuted his own logo. Um, guys with their own logos should be careful. Just be careful when you're considering, you know, announcing that you have a logo now on Instagram as a pro athlete. There's only a few guys that really should have logos and I'm not, I'm not, listen, I don't have anybody in mind here. I just see it sometimes. I don't know where the threshold, you know, for necessitating having your own logo is, but just be careful. I've seen some guys get logo, you know, tread lightly. Any listeners out there become wildly successful pro athletes. Just realize that sometimes wildly successful isn't enough for you to have your own logo. Um, Drake not being courtside. I actually look at it as a positive made me uncomfortable. Sometimes uh, the post game interviews and the, the courtside stuff. Cause I like Drake. I want Drake to look good. You know, 
Sixers, they went home. This was inevitable. Injuries accelerated it. I'm not going to throw a shit fit about it. Um, you know, it's, ugh, it's tough. I just love the city and I know they're passionate about the Sixers and, uh, I love Tobias Harris giving a fuck, you know, um, I know he didn't have a good series to say the least, but at least offensively, when he hit the ground, I thought he was in serious trouble and he may have passed concussion protocol, uh, but just to hit the ground that hard down three games to none in a tight ish ball game late, but that's how these games have gone. And then they've stretched to big, you know, unmanageable deficits. I mean, he came back in the game down. I think they were down double digits when he came back in the game. Uh, so it's good to see somebody who actually gives a fuck. Listen, I'm not saying I, I don't want to be the effort guy. I mean, but there's been some effort stuff, um, that you see sometimes that it's just, you notice it. Okay. Even they, like, I forget if it was Doris Burke on the game, but in the LA, uh, series, there were some call outs from the booth, which doesn't happen a lot about effort. It's gotta be bad when they call you out in the NBA for, for effort and getting back on defense. Listen, I know these guys are gassed. Um, that's part of it. I wondered watching though, as the Lakers kind of struggled to keep, keep pace late in the game with, and you know, Joel Embiid today was pretty wiped, but he waved off Brett Brown because he wanted to stay in and finish. He was frustrated. He didn't want Al, Al Horford to come in. He had five fouls. The conditioning might be a thing, you know, like it has to be a thing. I mean, the, the, the pace of play right now, day to day is huge. It, it's just, it's a lot. And, um, in the current format and coming off that long rest where you just don't know what guys were doing in the offseason. I'm sure you're working your ass off, but can you replicate this kind of push? And this is maybe the, the point in the playoffs. It's like in the NBA, in the NFL season, you see a rash of, of injuries or guys getting a little wiped out, you know, um, at certain points in the year, like it's a hump that guys have to get over. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they're dealing with something like that where guys are just gassed. Um, but Tobias Harris, you know, hats off to you. Um, tough dude. Seems like a great guy too. My Knicks, they are not allowed past the guard booth in the East. Uh, they have never been allowed past the Disney world guard booth. Um, they physically couldn't buy a ticket. Not that you can buy tickets right now, but like they're going to be sitting around card tables and that sort of thing for, you know, guys on the Knicks this year and teams like the Knicks and guys are going to be telling stories about the bubble. Remember the bubble? And you're like the awkward guy that was like, no, I was on one of a few teams that they just said like, don't bother. And if you're the Knicks, um, you know, I think God hates you. I think God hates the Knicks, man. I've, it, it, I'm a Knicks fan. I'm a long suffering Knicks fan. Um, maybe they'll do something with this, that 77th pick that they just got in the lottery. <laughs> Come on. I just think the man upstairs doesn't like the Knicks very much. And that's how I'm justifying my side team, the Portland Trailblazers. You know, if God hates my main team, the New York Knicks, why would I disagree with the almighty? Got to jump ship. Am I officially jumping ship and making my side team my main team? I'm not sure, but I check in with my side team every night, every night, just see how they're doing. Sometimes I, I find myself, I say, go Knicks. And I say, go, go Blazers. And I, I slip up. Um, just, it just slipped out, you know? Um, Maybe that's a problem. And by the way, the Blazers are fun. Okay. They've, they've, um, they've given the Lakers problems at different times in the series. Obviously they came out and jumped them in game one, game three, wasn't quite enough game two. They got blown out a little bit. Um, but they've made it interesting. They're not going to sweep them. Obviously like my man Chuck said they would, 
but they are fun. The uniforms look great. The all whites, the Blazers all whites are terrific. Um, I put them up there with the, um, well, they're better in my opinion, but I, I really like OKC's orange uniforms sponsored by Love's Travel Stops. Um, they are the most giant rest stops disguised as convenience stores of all time. If you've driven like right in the middle of the country and you just cut a line through that motherfucker and drove, you're going to see about a thousand loves. Uh, they might be wasting their money right now because we can't go any fucking place because of the pandemic. Bright orange jersey, you know, bright yellow patch. Nope. Uh, can't visit a love's rest stop because where would you be going? Can I order a Slim Jim online? No. Okay. So what are we doing here? Really like, um, I, I think, uh, people that, that stop at love's truck stops don't really mess with the NBA like that. Maybe it's mismarketed. Uh, also, the signs are 500 feet high, so I don't know why you even need to pay for any advertising outside of your giant skyscraper-ass rest stop signs. And maybe I'm confusing those with other gas station signs, but I just feel like Love's always has a really big sign next to like a McDonald's sign. It's like a tractor beam. I'm hungry, driving all day. I feel super unhealthy. Fuck it, I'll order $30 worth of McDonald's. And I don't even need GPS to get there. I just follow the giant golden arches right next to the loves, the love sign. Anyways, um, unis, Lakers, purple and black unis, not a fan, not the worst in LA though. And I'll get to the Clippers in a minute. Uh, as for the series, again, the West is more fun right now. It just is Utah, Denver, unpredictable Houston, OKC. I have a strong lean, um, but it's been, been fun. I have a lean of where the series is going to end up. I think Houston wins in maybe six. Um, Portland, I'm fearing that Chuck's prediction was wildly off base, but you've got a fighter's chance when you got, got a guy like Dame who can get hot. Um, the best thing smoking right now is a series I could see every year. Dallas, L.A. First off, as I said, um, this is the quintessential Western Conference series. I mean, the total overtime didn't help right now, but if you had the under, it just got smashed today. I think it was like 140 to 140 ton of lead changes, tons of big threes. Could you imagine? And the dude on the broadcast said it. Um, if that game was played at American airlines arena, the roof would fall off the place. It has been so fun. It's a series I could see every year and Dallas isn't even at full strength. They're down like 20 something. Uh, and they come charging back. They're up double digits. Clippers come back. Then there's a bunch of lead changes. I didn't count them. Um, first of hopefully many series. And I don't know how it ends up, but, but let me just say this, those basic ass black and white uniforms, the Clippers somehow settled on with that stupid GTA font. And anybody that's played a video game knows what I'm talking about. Uh, they're awful. Those uniforms. And it sucks because the Clippers have so many great throwback options, not the Odoms even not the Lamar Adams, like the back in the days. And Luca might send the most insufferable NBA uniforms home early this year, which is a, a shame, I guess, because you like the team. I mean, I, I like the team. Um, you know, there was some guy, how can you not love Kawhi? I like 
Beverly, as annoyed as some people get with him. Uh, Montrez Harrell plays his ass off. Um, and we'll get to that whole thing in a second. Playoff P, it's good TV right now. Um, but Luca, how can you not love Luca? How can you not love him? If you're an NBA team uh, that isn't in that division <laughs> and doesn't have to see him all the time, if you're an NBA fan, if you're an owner, you have to love him because he's great for the league. The next 20 years, God willing, you've got a star. He's LeBron's heir. And I say that with no disrespect to other stars. I just think his game is that complete. There is the global aspect of it, which is nice for the, for the NBA. No doubt about it. His game's that complete. I, I will always remember the day the Slovenian guy broke Twitter, just broke it. That was today. Everybody was just sitting and watching. You got nowhere to go, but to see a guy on a bum ankle drop 40. Uh, he hit two game winners. He got called a bad thing the other night. <laughs> And he answered and screamed in everybody's face today. Like the fucking Clippers acupuncturist got Luca screaming in his face. <laughs> like he probably found whoever's administering the, uh, the, the COVID tests in the hallway and screamed in that fucking person's face after the game. It was and one all night and good for him. He's tough. He responded. I'm sure he's used to it. Okay. European dude, NBA gets tested a lot. Um, and by the way, I don't want to get too far down this road with Montrez Harrell. I mean, I'm not, if you're keeping score and you really want to be persecuted or feel persecuted, not be persecuted, you, this would be a feel persecuted thing. Put a tiny little check, tiny little tick uh, on your, your scorecard. Let's see how long you milk this one. <laughs> Imagine... Imagine being black, you know, um, there is no, what if he called him this? Nope. There's no historical context to being called a soft white boy. Okay. It's a mean thing to say it, it, it probably, it looks bad, you know, to be caught on camera, you know, with everything the NBA and society's trying to do, because some people just don't understand sports trash talk. Listen, you're going to hear it sometimes. Um, it only really sucks if you can't prove otherwise. I never had a problem with proving otherwise. Um, and Montrez knows he probably fucked up because everybody saw it on TV. And I'm sure sometimes you say things, I'm sure that you don't realize what it looks like if you get caught in slow-mo saying it on national TV. And I think he knew it. That's why Luca and him chopped it up before the game. And it didn't seem like there was any animosity there uh i can tell you as an athlete that played in a predominantly black league i've heard worse but in all honesty um it never offended me because again it doesn't ring true to me so it was water under the bridge for luca uh <laughs> well maybe now it's water under the bridge maybe it wasn't water under the bridge maybe <laughs> He probably was. I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting to show Montrez Harold that he's fucking wrong or the plethora of other dudes that test him on the regular. I, I just have never seen somebody who we knew was a generational talent have such a coming out party. And the reason we, we saw what we saw last night, as you listen to it Monday morning and feel that way is because it's the playoffs. And these aren't, the Steve Nash, um, Dirk Nowitzki days. So 
a lot of people aren't watching the Mavs who were watching them a few years ago outside of like Dallas. Like I I'm not, I'm not downplaying how fun they are to watch, but they're not a huge, huge market NBA team. And Mark Cuban does a great job. These, this isn't a team with the pedigree, like, uh, you know, the Steve Nash, uh, Jason Terry, Dirk Nowitzki teams, because the guys haven't been able to do it yet. But I think this is going to be a more fruitful exercise for, for Mark Cuban. I really do. Luke is a guy, again, if you're an NBA fan, that you're going to get to watch for the next 20 years. God willing, him staying healthy. There has not been a guy more recently that I've watched. And Lamar Jackson comes to mind because there's such an infusion there. But with quarterbacks, especially a guy who plays physical and runs around, you know, you never know. In football, the shelf life is shorter. It's more unpredictable. Who's to say that Lamar is going to have the same type of success next year and the next year? I mean, you know how people talk about football players and do they figure them out. And there's some truth to that or whatever. But if you're a star in the NBA, I feel like you're a star in the NBA and you know. And like you already knew he was a star, but tonight the playoff performance, the game winner, the next game winner, you know, the toughness, the playing on a bad ankle. I thought he was dead the other night. It just solidifies that he's going to be around for a while and, uh, and good for Mark Cuban and good for the Dallas Mavericks. Cause they have another European player, uh, that happened to play for my old dumpster fire team, my main team. Let me not talk like I've already ditched them. Sometimes you got one foot out the door, I guess. Uh, Chris Stapps Porzingis, who was hurt today. So this is going to be a series. Now, the question is, how bad does Luca's ankle feel tomorrow? It was a big question to me to see how he'd feel after he hurt it initially. Now he presumably rubbed that thing down with God knows what, shot it up with God knows what, took whatever you know he could under the sun to go play because it was important to him. And uh, just two nights ago, it felt like you know in game three, hey, why would you come back in the game? This seems risky. It's kind of trending like it's over. Well, it's anything but over. And uh, star is born. That was already born. So it's a rebirth of a star. Like a star was born on top of a star. That was what last night was to me. And I love sports, man. Thank you, NBA. The other big story, playoff P. You do hate to see it. Flip side of the pro athlete coin there, um, you know, the, the pro athlete lifestyle coin. Everybody's like, you know, being a pro athlete's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. It can be really great, especially I can imagine if you're not hitting people every day your entire career and possibly damaging your brain and murdering your joints. And you play basketball for a living and you make $35 million a year and you're tall. People like you. <laughs> like, it's cool to be a basketball player. But the flip side of a sport that's as specialized as basketball is, you know, if you're a star, there's nowhere to hide. And Paul George, whether you think he's a first tier or second tier guy, there's nowhere to hide for him um, in a hole like this. And as an athlete, I've been in the hole before. Slumps are bad. But when you're one of 11 and you're, you know, say a premier pass rusher in the league on a bad team, that's different than playing for the LA Clippers in front of the entire country. Because as I said, with Love's, Travel stops. There is nowhere to fucking go. Everybody's glued to their TV. The next game is Brooklyn, uh, Toronto, which I would rather, I don't know what I'd rather do than watch that game. Suffice to say, I didn't. Um, Joey Buckets wasn't playing. Joe Harris. Hope he's doing okay. He left the bubble. Uh, personal matter. Shout out to Joe Harris. But, like, wasn't interested in watching that game. Everybody's watching the Clippers. Everybody's watching playoff P. 
And this is the flip side of the athlete coin. When you say something like he said in front of the media, as innocuous as it sounds, you got to back it up in perpetuity. When you're an NBA star, it's got to be lonely when you're not playing well. A big slump for a guy on a big stage like this is tough, especially when there's a perceived history there. So I bet he regrets the soundbite. The only thing that sucks is we cross the line all the time. And I talked about this before with, with, with athletes um, where we, you know, a guy is disappointing or, you know, doesn't pan out or has a bad performance on a big stage and people, not even fans of the Clippers. Like you can just see it. People like kind of dehumanize that guy a little bit, like wherever Paul George goes the rest of his life, if he never plays another basketball game, People will remember this stretch. This is a tough one because, as I said, everybody's watching. It's a bad time to have a slump. And it's not a character flaw. I don't know Paul George. Might be a good guy. Might not be a good guy. But you judge him just based on his, you know, showing up on a big stage. That's a, that's the flip side to the athlete coin. And there's no one doing it. So I hope he uh, climbs out of the hole just for his sake. And if he does and the Clippers get the series, um, I would love to see the Clippers play Damian Lillard. Oh, what if Paul George just limped through this uh, series, didn't get his shot right, and eventually they see the Blazers and Dame. And Dame's like, I've been waiting for this shit for what feels like three months. That would be high drama for Pat Beverly as well. Marcus Morris probably also regrets emptying the air clip at um, that dude's foot when he thought he hit a playoff game winner. Again, love and Luca, all in. But wasn't just basketball this weekend. I was doing a lot of other stuff, stuff around the house. So certain things, I don't have anything for you on some NFL news. You know, uh, it's funny. I got Jordan on uh, in, a, in a minute or two here. I'm watching him like harvest his own food, kill a moose, which we'll talk about. Uh, I'm watching him like, you know, ice fish at a wildly successful click. And I undercooked the salmon on the Traeger this weekend because I ran out of pellets and didn't even realize the pellets weren't working anymore. Um, or however you would say that. I fucked up flipping a steak earlier this week because um, I was an IG live popped up on my phone. Okay. I got distracted <laughs> and uh, one side of the steak was just mangled. Um and yet I got to interview a guy like this and he's going to totally emasculate me. Just totally emasculate me. Um, I left, I left the hose on today. Okay. Here I am talking up everything I did today. We got this $200, um, you know, water slide thing for the kids. The best $200 you could ever spend. I mean, when I was a kid, I feel like stuff like that bounce houses, water slide stuff, like inflatable stuff was, simply super rich kid birthday party stuff. Now it's accessible uh, or relatively accessible to where you're looking at your kid three days in a row, filling up the, uh, the inflatable water slide. And you're like, is my kid going to be soft because he's, he's doing this birthday party, special occasion shit every day. Um, yeah. So I was supposed to turn the hose off at the end and, um, Hey, honey, can you, can you turn the hose off? Yeah, I'm sorry. Did you say leave the hose on and you wanted a small lake in our side yard? And I'm water boys guy. Okay. 
got a foundation. I don't like wasting water. Left the hose on. I have like Lake of the Ozarks in my fucking side yard. So it has been a rough day for your boy. I, I screwed things up all the time. And yet I have to get totally emasculated like by a guy like Jordan Jonas, who just lived in the Arctic for 80 days. My wife, Meg, my lovely wife, Meg assembles our kid toys. Okay. I'm not going to front dude guys out there. Don't front. If you can't do it, you can't do it. I know my weaknesses. Okay. Without further ado, I got to get to Jordan Jonas because it is late Sunday night. And I know my producers are like, dude, get on with it. I, I, um, I have a date with some key lime pie downstairs. Okay. Which I harvested. <laughs> I didn't, I ordered it takeout. See, I'm not fronting. I ordered it takeout, uh, from the prolific Maya restaurant in Charlottesville. Shout out to my guys at Maya. Without further ado, let's get to Jordan Jonas of Alone season six. I started watching the show. I had never watched any of the other uh, you know, seasons and somebody was raving about yeah. the show and they know like I'm into, you know, the outdoors. Obviously you guys are maniacs, but I, I started watching. I couldn't stop. It was like so binge worthy. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and the first thing that I saw when I turned on the show was, Oh, there's a dude from Lynchburg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, like I'm rooting for this guy. Um, I also was pulling for Winia cause I just loved how calm she was. Oh yeah. You know, she was like Great mentality. You, you shrink in the woods. Like she, she would keep you calm. Yeah, totally. Totally. With the mindset for it, for sure. Yeah. But everybody was different. Um, yeah, you know, I, I loved seeing the different psychologies and the attitudes. I mean, there were some people that were gung ho and they were like, mm -hmm. I'm going to win this thing and I'm, I'm in a hurry to do this <laughs> and that. And, there's some people that were patient and you had a strategy. And I mean, yeah. I, I, I guess before we get into alone, like I was reading your bio and right. which is for, for the aspiring podcasters out there, that's fucking step one. You just read the bio and then you're set. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, the, the thing that blew my mind was besides all the cool stuff you've done in your life, you used to hop trains. And all right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, are, and I just got done watching the Ken Burns country music documentary. And I'm thinking to myself, uh -huh. like, is Jordan Jonas like a reincarnated 1940s dude? Like, why did you end up the way you ended up so adventurous? And is that like a normal thing in Idaho where you grew up? <laughs> no, it's probably not very normal. Uh, somehow our family just got, got a little wild. I don't know. My brother, my brother must be a weird genetic thing, but my brother was the first one to, to get traveling. And he, when he was like, you know, 17, he hitchhiked down to Reno and then met up with some hobos and started riding the rails and spent, spent years doing it, honestly. And, uh, my sister kind of went a whole different direction and she was like kind of in the high fashion New York scene. And so I had these two uh, opposing, you know, very different worlds kind of going on that I could look at. And, uh, but at, one, at some point, you know, my, I went and lived with my sister in New York city. And then I went traveling with my brother on freight trains and, uh, I don't know. Yeah. You just get a taste of freedom doing that. That's pretty, that's pretty yeah. interesting and kind of, uh, 
just gives you a different perspective on ways to live life. <laughs> you had all the bases covered, I guess, like first, yeah. you know, it was just a shock to me because it's true. Like siblings are not all the same. Like me and my brothers, I got two brothers. We're all different. We're in different stuff, but like to, to have one person into fashion living in presumably Manhattan or I don't know where, but right. and, yeah, man. And then a, another bro- brother, like hitchhiking, like Merle Haggard right. like, <laughs> across state lines, like, and you're in the middle of it. You go visit the city. You've done the train thing. Let's let's deal with the city thing first, because people that have seen the show and and maybe research you surviving in a city. Is that the scariest thing to you? <laughs> no, I uh, uh, I don't know. I was probably nineteen. I spent a few months. You know, my sister had a little tiny you know, shared bathroom apartment in Manhattan. And she, uh, she was working in the, some high end store. I remember like packing bags for Donna Karen and, you know, random people that would come in and uh, buy $10,000 worth of clothes in a shopping bag. You know, it was like old torn up <laughs> clothes that they would resell to designers, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. so they, but I remember I went down to unions, Union Square Park and just sat on the park there and some random dude came up to me and was like, Hey man, I don't recognize you here, which was a really weird thing to say in New York. (laughs) A billion people. (laughs) I I guess I stood out, but then we ended up chatting chatting and they were kind of homeless dudes too, but I ended up hanging out with them for those few months. I'd just, some of the nights I'd sleep in the park. Some of them, I would go back to my sister's apartment. (laughs) I don't know why I was getting a weird experience in, in that, in, in union, was union yeah we got we got rustled out of there because i guess there was a time you know at the time george bush was president but he was coming he was going to be driving through town so they had to clean up the parks (laughs) (laughs) chasing us out of there (laughs) did they wake you up yeah they woke us up yeah yeah so why Um, did you got the choice did you sleep in the park because there wasn't any square footage or you just like you just can't oh i think i was just having an experience you know getting to know the guy those guys and they seemed like friendly folk that's the question i got because i'm like it's so interesting and i think of myself as a wanderer i'm always daydreaming about busting loose and exploring. and i always feel like the most daunting thing about your life is you only have one to live and there's right. so many places and there's so many experiences and I get almost stressed out that I, you know, I'm <laughs> sometimes tethered by like real life, which is awesome. And it's got oh, yeah. trade-offs, but how do you like, how do you get to be, did you know from an early age that you were just kind of like a, a different dude? And I mean, that as a compliment. Yeah, I guess so. I guess I just, I knew I at least had a different path. You know, I just had, you know, and it's not all credit to me because I did have like an interesting you know, family. So I had all these weird connections and I, uh, just took advantage of them. I remember telling myself when I was pretty young to, you know, err on the side of saying yes to weird experiences and doing new things. And, yeah. and sure enough, yeah, I had, I just had a lot of random experiences and it was interesting because you also find out at some point after you have a lot, you know, including going to Siberia and all the things it's like that, experience isn't everything you know what i'm saying so like you're saying you also have a family and and build those relationships and 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 there's more value there than just acquiring experiences which i remember thinking when i was like out in the middle of siberia just on this reindeer super epic place really beautiful and i was just like man this is interesting this is another experience in my head but as soon as i forget this 
it's all gone kind of. So, you know, it's, yeah. there's some vanity to just, to just acquiring experiences for experiences sake, though. It's also a really good thing to do, especially when you're, you know, figuring things out and young and all that. I wonder, and this was one of watching the show. One of the most immediate pressing questions for me was how do you do this? Not knowing what's going on at home. Oh yeah. Well, on the show specifically, that was, that was you just having one, having a really solid relationship with my wife, you know, we communicate well and get along well and kind of just trusting that she would be able to handle it. So it's kind of, even though it was harder for her than me, you know, probably <laughs> it yeah. was uh, just, it was just, just being like, Oh, hey, she can handle it and kind of letting go of that control, I guess. And then and doing, you know, making the best of what I was doing because, you know, she's making a lot of sacrifices so that I can have this opportunity, you know, <laughs> so, uh, well, it helps to bring, it helps it. to bring the bag home. Yeah. There are definitely times where you think, well, man, if I don't win, I wonder if it's worth it. You know, it might not be worth it. And so it's, uh, just cause it's a lot of time away when the kids, my kids were two and three at the time. So you know how it is. It was just like, yeah. You know, uh, dude, I've left camping trips that are like two days long <laughs> in the middle of the night, bro. I've been sitting there at the fire and then I call a cab and wait. This is two, three in the morning. I wait for a yellow cab just to go home and sleep in my bed. You know, it was my first camping right. trip after my son was born because I was right. sitting there at the fire and I'm thinking to myself and I, he's, <laughs> like, where, he's like, where the fuck are you going? I'm like, well, I'm going to take a leak. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> and you never come back because it's just you, all of a sudden in my life, I started feeling that magnet, you know? Yeah. You know, it's like before you're untethered or you're relatively untethered. And well, it's like one of the cool things. I mean, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say the finances were a big motivator and the work I do has not been, you know, typically very fun. It's like demolition on houses in Virginia where it's like, hundred year old houses and plaster yeah. and just nasty work. And to be able to put that in perspective, how hard it is to make, you know, a few bucks doing that versus what I actually love to do anyway, you know, it was a cool opportunity on a loan to be out there doing something I would have never imagined being financially viable. You know, I never thought that could be a, something that would pay me back my Siberian experience and stuff. So, so being able to use that opportunity to, to, you know, it really, you really are buying time with your family. Cause how much time, how many houses would I have to demo to make $500,000? You know what I'm saying? It's the, yeah. It really like kept me motivated out there. Like, okay, don't, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Don't be lazy don't be anything like that just get after it make it happen as and much it as I and it probably it probably you know even beyond the 500k puts you on the map in ways that like you have exposure to do you know to oh yeah you know, passively teach your craft or engage in some absolutely now we've been doing like awesome it's been really fun teaching like survival courses and it's it's just been really good it's such a such an awesome opportunity. And like I said, it's, it's not really the finances. It's the time that the finances give you. Buy. Yeah. It's the quality of life. Is, yeah. I mean, nobody, yeah. if you're chasing just money. I don't really have much to buy, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no. And that's the nice thing. I mean, I don't think you're somebody who strikes me as walking around their house. Like I need a new this, I need a new that. No, I mean, not at all. Yeah. Is a beautiful thing. And 
you know, I'm sure there's mechanical injury risk and in hopping a train, but you get to cool, you right. get to go some cool places. Like, Oh yeah. Was there, what did you remember? Like one moment of like, yeah, I'm free right now. Like one place you were. I'd ridden across and up and down the East coast with my brother and across the country. But then I, w- we went back to Chicago together and then I split up with them and I was going to head back to Spokane and they were going to go hang out in Madison or something. And I, uh, Catching so Spokane, bro. Yeah, catching Spokane. So I, I hopped on the train by myself, you know, and that was a whole ordeal getting the right train. And, you know, it was a whole ordeal. But then I remember getting on it. And that was the first time I had been alone for a good amount of time. And it took me about a week to get home. But I remember, I remember the, uh, you know, when you're driving through the plains on the, riding through the plains i should say and you see the rocky mountains coming up in front of you and you just get to see them come closer and closer and it was sunrise you know the morning and i just remember that time being like man this is awesome (laughs) that was specifically one of those times where i remember feeling very free uh what's the hardest part of that lifestyle uh, wait, you do a lot of waiting. Uh, so you're always waiting for trains and, and waiting for this and that. And yeah, so you kind of have to be patient and know how to sit around. And, uh, that was probably the hardest time that was before cell phones, you know, so people couldn't, you didn't have a way to pass the time. You guys just, yeah. you know, screwed around. And, uh, how about the physical act? How about the physical act of actually nailing? The physical act, it, it can be rough. Like a lot of times it's not that hard, but, but sometimes catching a moving train or even more so trying to jump off a train that's moving a little too fast. Like maybe yeah. it's going through a town that you want to get out on. So that at the end of my cross country trip, same thing. It was flying by my little hometown in, in Idaho here and heading to Spokane, but I really wanted to get off. So I just, I was like, ah, screw it. I can probably jump off. And sure enough, you try to run with the train, put your feet on the ground and hold onto the rails and run, run, run. But your feet just don't catch up. And you're just a bam, boom, and roll down the gravel. <laughs> oh, shit. And, uh, so I ate it pretty good a couple times, you know, trying to get off a train going too fast. But, but. Are you alone? Do, are you alone doing this outside? Of, is this like a thing yeah. where there is this underbelly where people are actually doing this on the reg? Yeah, I think so. There definitely was, there was was like a small, you know, relatively small group of people that rode trains and kind of everybody knew everybody to some degree. Now, you know, back at the time, I don't know this, the scene at all now, but, uh, I love that you call it a scene. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) The old hobo scene. Yeah. It's a a cool scene. (laughs) There definitely was one. Uh, I'm sure there still is. Yeah. But my brother was pretty plugged into it. Kind of knew everybody and knew where, what parks they'd be hanging out in when you got to certain towns and stuff. Your brother sounds pretty cool. Um, <laughs> oh, he is. Yeah, he's cool how dude. about the how about the the Siberia trip for for anybody who hadn't seen the show? You know, they they really just touched on it for a minute. But mm-hmm. I, I was so interesting in, and I guess this already answered my question. You didn't go just on a whim and learn to be like kind of a lone ranger, but but did you learn to be sort of a survivalist there? You weren't that beforehand or was this a continuation yeah, of a lifestyle you were trying to live? You know, we were, we're pretty industrious bunch, you know, just growing up on the farm here and this and that. And, 
and working the way we did. But, but no, as far as being like the survival skills and wilderness skills outside of, you know, your basic stuff you do growing up in Idaho, what set me apart was definitely living in Siberia with those natives. You know, you kind of really see what people do practically and what works and what doesn't work. And they've honed that down over generations, you know? So what'd you miss the most when you were there? Um, definitely just people, you know, for, and not, you know, I learned Russian, but while I was learning Russian, it was really difficult not speaking, you know, the language and, but I miss surprisingly little, uh, as far as like physical things, uh, I definitely didn't miss like the internet and things like that. I, yeah. You I, know what? The internet is something that when you don't have it, you're pissed for like five minutes and then you're like, wait, this is kind of nice. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. <laughs> so didn't miss that much, but, uh, yeah, I guess if there was one year that I got pretty, like I definitely got skinnier in Siberia than I did in on that alone show. And how long were back. you there though, for the people who didn't, cause you were there with, with the nomadic group that were reindeer herders, well, I was right? in Russia for, yeah, not exclusively. I was in Russia for five years and three of those was with the Avenki. Yeah. And with that group, I mean, is yeah. their, their lifeline is hurting reindeer, right? I mean, yeah, definitely. There's, I honestly, before I met them, didn't really know people like that still existed. They kind of, you know, they live in teepees, they're nomadic. They spend, you know, very little time in villages and things like that. They pretty much just live in the woods and follow reindeer. They're semi-domestic reindeer herds all around in the wilderness and kind of protect them and also live off them and, uh, yeah, that's a pretty fascinating way of life. There were uh, mechanical injuries there. Were those legit or did you throw the, that multitude of, Oh no, all the, every, all the injuries were for sure legit and probably, probably under, uh, emphasized or whatever, <laughs> under exaggerated. I had some pretty gnarly stuff happen out there, but it's like a, you know, it's a steep learning curve. It's not how I'd grown up living. So, so I kind of just yeah, threw what, myself what, what, in there. What was the toughest skill that you had to learn? Because I know like when you see the finished product, you turn on the TV, you see Jordan Jonas, you know, <laughs> uh, on a loan, you're like, there's nothing this guy can't do. But at some point you didn't know what you didn't know. What was the thing that you were like, fuck, I'm struggling to learn this skill. Uh, funnily enough, maybe it was wielding an ax. That's where I seem to have the, <laughs> the most issues early on. Cause, yeah. but the way they do it, it's not like you really would in the States. It's like, you can get away chopping some firewood for your camp. No problem around here. But over there, it's like they literally spend months out of the year just building these fences where, you know, so these 30 kilometer circumference fences out of nothing but trees, you're chopping down and splitting lengthwise, you know, so horizontally. So you kind of got to swing your ax hard and split open the tree and split it horizontally. It's there's like so much work cutting down thousands of these, you know, leg sized trees or arm sized trees and hauling them around insane amounts of work and you're underfed. And so you're, kind of, so yeah, you're what's, kind what's of, underfed. I know what it is on the show, but what's underfed when you're living somewhere for three years? Uh, well on those fences, I think I just, most of the Evenki folks are just smaller than me have probably slower metabolisms and they'd, they'd have like a, little chunk of moose meat for just a small piece and a bunch of dried noodles for everybody, for all say nine of us working on the fences. And they just throw all that in the pot and eat it. And 
you'd be Golly. lucky to get a little tiny scrap of meat on your spoon. You know, if you're cutting the bread, by the time you're done cutting the bread, the soup was gone. You know? oh, <laughs> like, man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> so, so, uh, it was just like slim pickings. And, uh, I mean, I got down to uh, 155, which was as thin as I've ever been. And just, chopping you know just building fences working hard every day uh and not yeah not eating enough for whatever reason and, they just and why, and why did you the hunt wasn't going well <laughs> yeah probably, probably <laughs> that not. was my first year there so i didn't really know how things worked very well and uh yeah i was just figuring it out so yeah that's a little bit of a shock coming off an american diet even if you're you know a little bit um of, of a a responsible eater i, I oh yeah i, I just what was the motivation to go into Siberia? I mean, I, I guess Russia was, was for something entirely different or was, did you well, plan? It was initially, out? yeah. Just helping the, some of the missionary guy build an orphanage and yeah. do his thing. And then I, through meeting, you know, living with other Russians, I met the Evenki and kind of fell in love with their way of life and them as people. And you also see, not only the, all the positives of their way of life, but also all the negative things going on. And, you know, you kind of hope that there's a way you can be a positive influence on their way of life or on some of the people or whatever it is and vice versa. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, what are those, neg- what are those negatives? It's mostly alcohol related, but they, yeah. you know, like there's lots of, murders and suicides and people just dying of you know freezing to death because they drank too much there's there's an insane amount i think one in three is the statistic of people die from suicide homicide or uh accident over there so that's pretty insane numbers and uh but you keep it do do you keep in some contact i know i mean I do. I'm not a great at keeping in contact, but I, I talked to him some months back and actually just about a month ago, probably. And, you know, they're of course hard to get a hold of too, because they're always in the woods and their phones never work, but, uh, yeah. Are they looking for a cut of that 500 K buddy? <laughs> I'm sure they would. I'm sure they are. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Hey motherfucker, we just got Netflix. On TV, and I swear we deserve a cut of this because all these, oh, yeah. we saw. they do. They do. Um, so, so you come back, what's the psyche of somebody who's a survivalist? I think about like panic and, you know, I think about control. You mentioned control. Just for you to leave that long, you have to relinquish control. What's like a key personality trait in your, um, yeah, I think uh, that is a, that's a good one right there. Not, you know, understanding the balance between knowing what you can control and actively pursuing those things and then letting go of what you can't control and not letting it kind of tear you up and eat you up. Also, I think like just, having uh gratitude is really important because it's easy to in any way of life but when you're out there too it's just easy to be like oh this sucks and that sucks and uh it's much much better approach in general to focus on what you're thankful for and uh and when you're and when you're alone you don't have anybody else to blame for your attitude yeah no definitely right so it's a good it'll be a good reflection of who you are and how you handle uh stressful situations because 
yeah, it's all on you and definitely people who, who have a good perspective on, on suffering and also on what's actually happening with them is so just un- having an understanding of history and the, the things that people have gone through that are much worse and stuff like that. Yeah. With regularity. I mean, like you, with regularity, man, we live in such a awesome time. I read a book recently and you know, mm-hmm. gosh, uh, if I overcome my ADD to cover to cover, I here I am. I can't remember the, the book, the name of the book, but it basically conveyed that there's a lot of good news. There are things that are getting easier, oh, yeah, like, yeah. Getting easier around the globe. I mean, and sometimes yeah, we take right. that for granted. I mean, that doesn't mean there aren't problems that need addressing yep. immediately. But as far as the human condition, it's easier than it's ever been, even in some really tough places. Exactly. And you want to start at you want to start no matter where you are with some degree of gratitude. So even if things are bad for you and this and that. If you just focus on that, you're going to just tear yourself down. So yeah, right now we have uh, so much to be grateful for. It's like, there's a lot to improve and, but starting with the gratitude, it'll really help you be able to not lose what you already have when, as you try to move forward, you know, or not take it for granted. How do you convert that suffering? I'm sure it's not a linear conversion of suffering to gratitude, but those are the two things you're trying to balance out. What do you, how do you reset yourself in situations where you're super uncomfortable? Is there something you say? Uh, Yeah. Well, uh, there, it depends, I guess, on the specifics of the situation. I definitely have like a, there's a kind of a fun Russian saying, saying I always think of, which is like, which means like your, your hands are afraid, but or your eyes are afraid, but your hands do meaning like, you might be worried about doing something now, but you basically just need to tackle it, get started and it'll get done. And so a lot of times when you're miserable and you have some kind of situation that you just don't want to do, you kind of just have to get started. And, and once you get started, you'll find you got it done. But if you never get started, you won't even get there. With you reciting that it's comforting, but if, a random Russian dude with a bunch of tattoos had that like tatted <laughs> on his chest. I'm thinking he's Viggo Mortensen in, like, in Eastern provinces. Like, yeah. just get it over yeah, with. Yeah. You know, the deed has yeah. to be done. I, uh, <laughs> right, the, exactly. yeah, I, I mean, um, taking it out of context there. So. <laughs> I, no, that's one thing, but, but also I really do remind myself a lot of what even my own ancestors and stuff went through. And it puts so much perspective on my suffering, no matter what I have to go through. It's, it's just nothing compared to even what my grandparents went through. And so especially like even the more so when you're sitting out on like a TV show with the tap out button and you're thinking, man, this sucks. It's like, what yeah. are you talking about? This is, we got it made right now. You know, this is, this is amazing. And no, I mean, it's, it's true though. I mean, it's true. And then even like specifically on the show and I talked to Winnie about this was like, you could still, I mean, the tap out button sounds good, but I'm watching and I'm thinking that I hope nobody's watching this and lulled into a sense of a false sense of security where you press the button. Right. Somebody, it's like the Truman show. Somebody just rolls up <laughs> and they're like, Hey, yeah. come with me. I got a steak and you'll be home in an hour. Like you could get in y- yourself in a situation where you could be mortally wounded or fall through the ice. Like, Oh, definitely. That's easy to do. And it's not a, and the, honestly, the tap out button was never anything that was a comfort or anything yeah. for me. Cause you just never thought about it. It was, it wasn't like a, 
options. So it, it was just a thing that I would notice that I was like, that I never had in Siberia. You know, I was like, oh, this is a. Yeah, this is cool. In Siberia, I have to like, yeah. Yeah. how do I book a plane ticket with no <laughs> internet? <laughs> um, I, I, I guess I looked at it and I wondered, you know, you going into it and before we get into the, you know, the, the process of, of starting out there, but mm-hmm. was there a, a type of mechanical injury or a cardinal sin that you're like, I can't make this mistake there um, because uh, I will yeah. be dead? Um, I guess the consequences of the mistakes that I would make, well, there were some that definitely the most serious thing you're going to do out there is probably fall off of something. I had definitely some little cliffs I would climb up and down to get to my fishing hole. And that was, you know, something don't slip, don't slip. And then, but I was more than anything, I was worried just about losing something because I'm not always the best at keeping track of my stuff. So I, hear I was just that, brother. I hear that. <laughs> I was just like, do not lose anything. Do not get injured. You know, yeah. obviously I've, those are lessons I've had to learn the hard way. I've, and I was in both situations. I never really lost anything and I never got hurt in, in really any way, which is just for me had to be seriously learned traits because I naturally lose everything and am not very careful. So, <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I'm, I golly, you sound like a very yeah, much more skilled version of me. So I, I totally can <laughs> empathize with that. When you're getting ready to be on the show, I, I got a little bit of background from Winia, but like you arrive, I presume you spend some time with people beforehand. Are you sizing up the competition? Cause for her, she says, mm-hmm. you know, it was a, it was an, it was a personal journey. I wasn't like, Hey, the 500 K would be great. But you know, this was about me going on a journey for you, which I understand I'd be in it for the money too. That was a big (laughs) part of it. So you're competing. Are you sizing people up? Well, there's a degree that you can't help, right? You kind of look at people and think, Oh, they're probably going to do well. And they're not. And then it wasn't, it's not like a competition in the way that you feel like you're directly pitted against other people. So that's nice. Right. But I did find when I was out there, you know, I was, be, I would be worried about like, Oh man, I wonder if Michelle's just slaying the fish or I wonder, you know, like yeah. you just, you, you do think about what other people are doing and there's a degree of, of sizing other people up, I guess. Although it doesn't really feel like a co- competition. You're just obviously curious who's going to do well and how long it's going to go and all those things. And for me, I, it, it, it's all of the above. There was definitely, it was really cool to be able to share like all the skills that I've acquired over in Russia with my friends and family here who have only ever heard stories. So I was like, man, it's super cool to have the opportunity to like share this aspect of my life with them. Uh, so that was real motivating. And also the idea of having something for my grandkids and beyond where it's like, what if I had a, hour long, you know, series on my great, great grandfather. Yeah. How awesome would that be like, man, so it's cool. Those were motivating things, but also it's all stuff I could do. The fact that they were offering a big financial prize was why I definitely did it, you know, on yeah, in this yeah. context, it was already all stuff I was doing for free. So it's not like I wouldn't with, without the money, but it's impossible. I feel like, you know, and obviously all the viewers do it and they don't want spoilers, mm-hmm. which is kind of fucked up that we're sitting there watching people. Like it's a sport. I, I didn't want to watch it. Like it was hunger <laughs> games, right, but, right. you know, you are like, and, and another thing I wondered was, the psychological toll of being out there and knowing that you are in essence, in a way competing. I don't want to put words in your mouth, right. but yeah, you're trying yeah. to last the longest, but you don't know how many people are left. Yeah. That was definitely a trip. Yeah. 
So like, yeah. so what did you, did you gauge? All right. Th- this is how many days. And for people, was, to be fair, like, I mean, the nice thing is, is I, I told myself from the very beginning that the show like basically wouldn't start until day 90 because I just figured, well, I'd kind of, I guess maybe as you were saying, are you sizing people up? I remember somebody at orientation saying, <laughs> saying that they wanted to be the, you know, break the record and be there 90 days. And it just put in the back of my head that, Oh, you know, they're probably going to do that. They're probably going to be here 90 days. And I can't even think about the show starting until day 90 and that, and I grilled that into my head so much that I, that I really believed it. Like I didn't even think about it. I never thought it would end when it did. And I thought it probably had 20 or 30 more days before the odds of any, any sort of odds of winning started to get on the map. But that said, I would, every time a helicopter flew over, you know, I'd like follow it, run out on yeah. the river and look, look and be like, oh, where's that thing going? You know, like yeah, because I mean, you, y'all, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big lake, I presume, but yeah. you wonder how close you are to people. You could still see helicopters traveling here and there. And so you are you know, trying to gauge by that. Yeah. You know, you start counting the helicopters. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, you know, like it's so stereotypical. Somebody's thinking you got a, a big rock and you're just, you know, like, like Tom Hanks and cast away this many helicopters went by. I, wonder <laughs> yeah. what. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, was, I was definitely, whenever one would fly over, you'd get pretty curious. And then on med check days, you just hear it landing over there and over there and over the man you're like geez there's still a lot of people out here <laughs> yeah and then you're, and, and you're also looking at the people like maybe hey you gonna tell me something like you gonna tell me if i'm doing good like when he said oh, she yeah. Can tell, oh yeah you're trying to read into everybody everything they say and they're really good at not giving you any extra information but but they you tell know, you your family's okay uh no they don't give you any reports from your family now they, that's uh, kind of sadistic in my opinion well, they would probably tell you if something was really bad. So no news is good. No news, news is good news. Yep. Yep. And yep. then, uh, they, but I remember trying to read into everything they said. I'm mean, one week. They told me like, Jordan, you know, you're, you're filming less than everybody else. You need to film more. <laughs> and I was, uh, it was kind of funny cause I felt like I'd been filming a lot. I mean, I had been every week except the week that I built my fishing net. Cause it was so boring that I thought nobody wants to sit me well have me watch me do that net for 40 hours so i so i might have skipped some net making and then uh uh but that was getting kind of towards the end and i didn't realize it but i remember in hindsight now it's kind of funny when i look back because i remember i told the guys i was like well that's not that bad if there's only two of us out here yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Then, and they uh, and they like looked at each other funny, but in hindsight, I think they were like, "Hmm, what does he know?" You know, yeah, has, has he been scouting? Has he been exiting the map like in a video game? Like, yeah, exactly. A little zone, you start your health goes down. I like. <laughs> so I'm wondering, you're you're six. It, it, had you listed at six two one seventy five on the site, but you said that the lowest you'd been was one fifty five. What'd you weigh when you went in, and what was your nutritional mindset? Because Wania was like, "I need to be get ready for ketosis. I need to be getting ready to starve." And I felt like watching yeah. you. You were like, "I'm hunting. Like I'm gonna yeah. eat." Yeah, I knew. Well, the nice thing for me because I have a fast metabolism is that I knew I had no chance in hell if it was a, <laughs> it was a yeah. starving game. So I was just like, wasn't even an option. That's why I didn't bring it rations. Cause I was like, well, if two pounds is going to be the difference, then 
I'm going to lose. Cause I'm not, you know, I got way less than two pounds, uh, between me and the next biggest guy or way more. So anyway, I, uh, it was always about providing calories, you know, ideally though, I fully expected to suffer, you know, what's your resting heart rate. Cause like, Oh, I don't know. My resting heart rate. I've never, I don't have one of those Fitbits. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't peg you as a Fitbit guy, but like, I know you burn a lot of calories. I know out there with your mindset, it was funny cause I watched you on the show and I know it's cold when you're cold, yeah. you talk slower, you move <laughs> slower to try to conserve energy. Then I yeah. saw you on Rogan and your, your words per minute sped up exponentially. Like, were you just everything you did when necessary, you just I try to conserve. Things. Your, I think when you're by yourself a long time, you, you, or at least myself, uh, I just, everything's real slow. You know, you're just kind of, you talk slowly. Yeah, dude. I, I was <laughs> like not trying to get anywhere in a hurry. And I was yeah. trying to be intentional a little bit about that because I didn't want to get injured or, you know, I didn't want to ever feel like I was in a hurry to do anything. So I think I was just being real chill and I, and I, and yeah, like you uh, like we were saying before, my plan was always to like, try to provide food. It was one of the things I like about the place that they put us was that it's, a, I mean, I'd never been to Northwest territories, but I'd been to Siberia. It's somewhat similar. It's a place that I know rewards hard work, you know? So I knew that I, it wouldn't be my work if I could unlock the key to whatever my location was, because everybody, you know, is going to have different strategies based on their location. But if I could figure out what my location offered, I knew I could probably unlock a key to staying there semi indefinitely or something. So that was my goal just because I had seen it done before. So, and uh, you know, you get on Reddit before the show and you're like, I wonder what everybody's saying about this show. And you get on there and, and it had been pretty unanimous that like the best strategy is to just build up a lot of extra, extra weight before you go on the show, get chubby and burn as few calories as possible. Because with the gear you have, it's impossible to provide enough calories, you know, to make up for all your, yeah. so, so you go, so did you gorge yourself a little bit? I did. I tried to put on, I've never been able to put on weight, but I tried my hardest and I did succeed. I got like, I gained like 25 pounds before Damn. I went out. So that was a lot. And it was it's hard, pretty it's hard nasty. to breathe with 25. Oh yeah. It was, <laughs> it was, you it start, was you like develop sleep apnea automatically. <laughs> totally. I, like I've always had trouble gaining weight and that's weird in my profession, but I mean, like I, the weight yeah. just falls off me. So I can only imagine if somebody was like, you got to gain 20 pounds to do this. It would be so uncomfortable. Oh and yeah. And it was, running. it was like, the ground running. I was, feeling pretty chubby, but that all blew off of me really fast. And I went back to my normal weight and that's basically what I ended the show at was, so I'm normally like now I'm probably 170, 172. And I think I ended the show at 168. Oh, so when you lost all that weight, you had lost it from an inflated state. That's why it didn't make sense to me when you were telling me the lightest you've ever been was in Siberia. What about the, what about like your location? Because it is luck of the draw. I felt like Mm -hmm. when I watched it, there were some guys who got really bum deals. Uh, I thought you ended up somewhere pretty good. Was that mm-hmm. the jackpot or were there negatives that I'm not thinking about? Well, I, I think as far as the location, I definitely, the, the survival guys did tell me I had by no means the most big game on my territory. So it wasn't like it was the place. Yeah, the, with the, the they turn out to be kind of wrong. Yeah. No, well, they were, you know, they were there 
in all the seeing everybody's footage and stuff. Yeah. And there, yeah. there's a big game. And I, I actually tracked big game, some moose that left North of my territory into my neighbor's territory. So I know they were in other people's territory. I don't really, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I, uh, every, I think, and I think even watching their season seven on is right now. Mm. And I, and it, I, I think it shows that there's a lot, there's a lot out there. If you're like, have the really go get a mindset, it's not necessary. You know, there's no guarantees, but no, I mean like who knows how many times a moose strolled through somebody else. That's else's what I mean. It's like even last it. night. Exactly. If you're sleeping and myself included, you know, like if I'm, sleeping in my house tonight, how many deer walked by my house? I don't know. You know, yeah. especially when there's no snow, there's no, not really a, it would, it would be the noise incorrect yeah. of me to say none because I just right. don't know. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, so yeah, I don't yeah. Know. And I, and I think there's people who had, who had tear land that was definitely fishing only was their main strategy, at least early yeah. on. But I, and so if that wasn't their specialty, then they're in trouble. You're kind of out of luck on that one. But, but I think most people aside from those couple had, you know, had resources of some sort on their land. And, uh, but my spot, I initially really didn't like, and I had a lot of footage of me probably complaining about it. And then it, of course, once you get a moose, you can't complain. (laughs) Then you got to pack it and you got to pack it out and, and, and and store it. I mean, it's just like, it was just, yeah, the pack, none of that was a problem at all. I was so the happiest work I'll ever do. I was just, you know, I'd lived in Siberia off of the similar type of land, but it wasn't, you know, it hadn't been a forest fire. So I, you know, where I was, didn't have very many berries and thus it didn't have very many grouse. And both of those are what I ate a lot of in Russia. So I was like, man, this is a bummer. I got to figure something else out. There were no, because there were no berries, there were no bear and Mm -hmm. bear was like what I thought would be my most likely thing. I heard you say that. I heard you say that. What's the, what's the fear level? Uh, you know, because when I'm up in Northwest Montana and I'm not outside as much as you, but I'm just, I'm very cognizant of brown bear and like, you just have to be, uh, was there a predator that somehow you were maybe, I mean, a lot of people underrate how fucking impressive a moose is. Cause they oh, haven't yeah, seen I think one a moose is as dangerous as anything. I, uh, uh, no, I mean, when you're out there, you're kind of have to like, I mean, on one hand, you're just, you're living with nature and amongst it and you're part of it. On the other hand, you kind of have to take your kind of place at the top. If you, can. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. it's like, okay, I, I'm going to, if there's a bear here, it's going down between us and I'm going to win. You know, my, was my, would be my philosophy or, you know, my, that was my idea. And in general, I'm not that afraid of them only because I've lived with those natives who have spent their whole lives with bears. And there's just very few stories of people having bad well, run-ins even with in bears. The States. Even in the States, it's just not that common. So you just have to kind of lean into statistics on that one, because I think your, your level of fear is out of proportion with the odds of you getting mauled. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I will say as far as going out, I mean, quite the, the extravagant way to go out. To be the the grizzly man's like audio when he got, yeah. Or the guy that survived recently. Did you see the dude that like that survived that attack and, and hiked out and uh, it's just, 
Yeah, I saw something that was crazy. No, there's it's definitely can be wild, but I, I would be more afraid of like I said, falling or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. That. yeah. But so, I, and I just tried to anytime I got worried about predators of some sort, which would only really be bears, I uh you just remind yourself of statistics and it's like, hey, it's super unlikely. And then yeah. set yourself up in a position where if a bear does come, he's not coming for you first. He's going for, you know, your stash first. And so then you have a chance to maybe hunt them. So, you know, yeah, uh, you know, the whole statistics thing's great, except I'm not jumping <laughs> in the water off the coast of California. They to say all that shit about shark <laughs> attacks and all that. Like, come on, dude. Come on. You you got a better chance of getting hit by lightning. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> okay, then you jump in. You jump off the Manhattan Beach. Um so I so so with the moose, I mean that was one of the most that was the, kind of the the biggest action of the whole show. Um and I know you, you, you didn't get a clean shot at the first one or maybe miss it or whatever, but yeah, yeah. It was a big botched was shot. The, was that the bigger one? The one you missed? Yeah. Oh yeah. That was a very big moose. That was, it was such a cool moment. Cause it was uh, just, well, I saw it and I went out there <laughs> and, and I, and I'd kind of set it up. It was like, I'd, again, I knew that if animals walked by, I wouldn't even know it. So I'd set up some alarm cans so when they walked by on their trails it would shake cans and so that's what happened that morning i heard the cans go clank 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 and i woke up and i got up and the moose had that big old moose had run out but he had got scared himself with the cans (laughs) and ran (laughs) basically ran right at me and then turned around and looked back at the cans so like it couldn't have worked out any more perfectly for me. The only problem was he was out in a mud flat and it was so hard to judge distance. And I had grabbed my camera and an arrow rather than my quiver. And so I came up and I took a shot at him and I grossly underestimated how far he was. Cause I thought he was, he looked a lot closer cause he was so big. I right. just thought, well, he must be like 30 yards. I sent an arrow and it like dropped short and I was like, what the heck? And then I went to grab another arrow. Cause once you take your first shot, you can kind of gauge the distance and make your next shot. Well, I uh, only had grabbed one arrow, like a moron. And so then I just watched <laughs> the moose kind of like turn back and stare in my direction and then trot slowly off. And I was like, ah, but I was sort of disappointed and, but sort of like, man, that was so cool. I was like, I just felt like I just saw a dinosaur. Like that was, that was awesome. Right. Yeah. But at and the same so, time, are you thinking never in a million years, are you thinking I'm going to have another clean shot or were you? Uh, yeah. Well, I was worried that that was about the best shot I could have, but I also, I also knew that it was actually tougher than it looked because it was, it was like a mud flat, super hard to judge distance. So I was like, ah, understandable that I missed. So I tried to learn from what happened and I was like, okay, so what do I need to do next time to make sure that I'm, you know, that I have a better shot if a moose does come by. Yeah, I was, I, 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 your, your mental like, uh, ability to just get over. It was amazing. Cause I was sitting there laid back with a joint and I was just distraught. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the couch, distraught. I was like, Jordan, come on, man. Lynchburg's got to take this thing home. I, like, but I, like, dude, when the next moose came, it was like, I couldn't believe it. And it was such a, a moment that you were like, I think he's going to win. Like he's really going to win. Again was like a lot more set up than it wasn't like just waiting for a moose to dumbly walk by. You know, I'd like, 
every day I would call and spend hours just like eating berries and calling moose. And then I built that whole fence. It was like a whole Evenki style fence. Like we were talking about earlier Yeah, that kind of funneled them into one spot. So if another moose came, you would come down one path and I knew which path basically. And so that's why I was able to get the second moose. And, uh, and gosh, that was the biggest, like happiest day. And then you can't repeat that anyway, man. It was just like so much joy when that thing finally went down. But it was such a roller coaster day because you shoot it and you're like, oh man, I don't know if that was a good shot. And so then you get all nervous and you, you know, you felt like a really good shot. And I saw the moose cough. And so I was like, oh man, I got him in the lung. I was yeah, all excited. Lung blood, right. You, you saw, yeah, like, bubbly saw that blood, bubbly right? blood. And then I went back to my shelter and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to wait an hour before I go look. And the longest hour ever. And I like sit there, skinned a rabbit, like paced around in circles. I was like, Oh gosh, Oh gosh. Okay. Anxiety go. rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you get up on it, you know, it's dying. When Nia and I yeah. talked about this because, you know, some of her fans were asking the show didn't do a great job of showing the scope of how long it is and how dangerous it is to wait out a wounded, big, powerful animal like that. Oh and Yeah. I guess the question would be like, do you think the show kind of shorted you as far as showing like how seriously you took that? Because she was saying that some people were, and there's always going to be these people. It's like, I don't understand why you kill an animal. That sort of thing. The ethics. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, like that maybe don't hunt or whatever, but she was saying they cut out so much of just by virtue of the fact that you had to sit there so long of, of the seriousness with which you took that kill. Oh, for sure. Absolutely, man. I mean, like, I don't know if I blame the show and they don't know. They fit in what they can fit. Like literally the, for all 77 days, I had like an hour of airtime. So it's like, you can just expect that there's tons they didn't put in there. Yeah. And, and, but man, I was, it was as serious as it gets. And I was so grateful when it had, you know, when it finally died to like, went up and gave that big old moose a hug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, just couldn't believe it. Like, cause I remember I did get crap on the internet for people like, man, you weren't thankful at all. Or Wait, something. hold on. You got crap on the internet. <laughs> they believe it or not. Actually, I got much less than I would expect. And yeah. they were, yeah. and it didn't bother me at all, but it was funny. Cause I was like, oh, that's totally just not true. I like definitely was so thankful for that thing. How good were the cracklings, man? I was getting hungry. Oh man, it was great. I was trying to share them with the production crew. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, no dude, you got to try one of these. (laughs) They don't know what they they were so good. Rendered down the fat and you have those little fatty balls, but there's no, there's no time when they taste better. I'll tell you what, man. No, I couldn't even imagine like being hungry and you were well fed relatively speaking, but even you said like that once the Wolverine took the fat for those of y'all listening out there, yeah. well, why don't you just tell it? Well, I'd like, so I just haven't dealt with Wolverines in my life. Uh, I'd heard all about them in Siberia, believe it or not. I heard about it in Siberia a lot, but they'd never come to our you know, tank. there's just not that many in Siberia. Apparently in the North America, there's a lot more because, uh, they're all over up there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, so when I got the moose, I kind of half expected a bear to come. And so I put all my meat, you know, I put a bunch of my most appealing meat on this shelf in front of my shelter and hung a lot of the rest of the meat in my shelter and got it to start smoking. 
But then I figured, you know, if a bear comes, it'll go to that shelf, make a bunch of noise and I might have a shot at it. So I was, that's what I was thinking. But what happened was I fell asleep and didn't wake up and woke up in a Wolverine. It looked like a herd of Buffalo had run around there. It just trampled the whole area, grabbed a big jug. I'd found a plastic gallon jug and packed it full of kidney fat. And he grabbed that jug and took off with it. And I just never heard any of it. So I woke up in the morning. I was just like, what, where's a jug? Where did I hang that jug? And then slowly dawned on me. I was like, no, that guy just, Golly, dude. Oh. but you know, like it was a little overblown, I think on the show. Yeah. Like, so, so you weren't yeah. like, it didn't cause they made it seem like you were in peril because of the fat store. Yeah, no, I was in peril only in, in my relation to what I thought I had to live to, which was like 140 days or something. You know, like I was like, right, right, oh, right, I don't right. have enough fat. You know, there's a lot of audio of me being like, I don't think I have enough fat. There's not enough fat, but it's probably all in relation to me thinking I had to get there through February or to February instead of to no end of November, you know? So I'd, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of just relative talk. And then there were some other details. That I, but as far as fat goes, I had, still had a lot, you know, there's yeah. still a ton of fat on a moose. And I, and I, uh, like I said, didn't really lose any weight in the time I was out there. So off of my Do normal weight. Salt? So. Do you miss salt? Cause that's like, you know what? that was a surprise to me personally. I was like, wow, I don't miss salt at all. Every really? time I ate, it was just as good as, as good as maximum delicious. And I didn't <laughs> really do. Yeah. It's crazy. So I didn't, didn't really miss it. And I thought about that even towards the end. I was like, man, this is still good. Especially yeah. the moose. Like I was getting sick of fish, but the moose was just still delicious. So on the way out, um, you know, you're in what, um, you last 77 days. Is it? Yeah. That's how long. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I mean, then that's when they came and got me. I, I, I would have definitely stayed yeah. longer. Yeah, and you could have lasted a lot longer. I mean, it sounds like your sights were set very high. Um, when you first see your your wife roll up in a helicopter, do you think you're hallucinating? Uh, well, she she came up behind me while I was talking, and I had I was like, I had again no clue that she was there. I didn't even entertain it as a thought, and. And I think probably as a, maybe a reason to, <laughs> to bring Janelle out, they like, we're you know, okay, we're adding extra medical checks. And I was like, what extra medical checks? Like, I'm fine. Why are they adding an extra medical check? And so I like, I was flipping out. I couldn't believe they're fucking shows out to get me. I was like, is this show rigged? Yeah. I, <laughs> I was like taking footage of my belly. Like I still got a gut and can't pull me out of here. And, then, <laughs> and so then when they showed up, I was like, all ready to go off on them about why, why you guys have extra medical checks. I feel totally fine. I'm skinny, but I'm fine. Blah, blah, yeah, blah. Exactly. And so I had all this stuff to say to him. And then, I heard Janelle coming up behind me, but I just thought it was like production crew or something milling around. And sure enough, she could have like basically slit my throat. <laughs> she came right up behind me. I was like, oh man, I was shocked. I, could, I couldn't believe it. That was a, as genuine of a surprise as I could have. Are you immediately thinking about 
your first shower or your first meal or what? Like what's, what's going, what's that? that I was actually there? most, I was actually really excited to show Jana Lee around up there because I knew my house. Uh, Let me show you my house. Yeah, exactly. Well, she had lived with me in Siberia. So I, so I knew yeah. it would be, there would be like things that would be nostalgic for her. Yeah. And uh, I knew she had probably went through a pretty rough few months. And <laughs> so I was like, I was really excited to have her come up and check it out and be like, Oh, this reminds me of Siberia. Oh, this is cool. I knew she'd like it. And, uh, so that was mostly what I was thinking. Like I wanted to show her around and uh, I was wishing they would let her stay a little bit there, but I rushed us out of there. Of course they would have been pissed. And it sounds like you have it in you to ask them, Hey, can we stay another night? Yeah. <laughs> um, what yeah. news did you, what news did you miss? Like, did you like, oh, right, was nice. it was nice not to be plugged into the news. I'm actually some of the type of person that likes to read some news and stay informed, but you just don't want to follow the news cycle. Cause it's just so unhealthy psychologically. So it was nice. Yeah, no, what, yeah. I don't remember what had happened during the time I was gone. That was, what were the, news. what were the dates? What were the dates? It was, uh, Basically, the end of August, so September 1st through like November, say 25th of 2018. I don't know. Yeah, so I'd have to go back and look at world news, but it's never yeah, any good I don't know news what nowadays. happened during that time. Never <laughs> any good news. So. Yeah, totally. How about how about when you get on the helicopter, they take you to because when he had to go to the hospital for a little bit in Yellowknife, she was saying, right, right, like like what what's that process for you and how big is the social shock? Like the stimulation shock? Uh, well, uh, for me, it was, I didn't have any refeeding program to go on. They kind of told me to stay away from carbs, but, uh, yeah, I hadn't really, I hadn't really suffered from deprivation. So I had, didn't really need to be refed. And, Honestly, it sounds weird, but it, to me, it felt like just another trip back from Russia. Like I think, yeah, which felt pretty normal. Cause I would, a lot of times I would go from Siberia and then go to New York city. And then it's like from the least populated place on earth to New York city in just like eight hours or whatever, you know, so, or, you know, just a matter of hours. So how about it, really, it felt like that? Honestly, it felt like, Oh, another trip back from Russia. And it, I think it hadn't, it wasn't, it definitely was one of, had it been a trip to Russia, it would have been one of my shortest. So it just kind of put it all into perspective on that front. I mean, it was just such an exciting time. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't believe it that I had won. And so I was just really. Yeah. Exciting. That 500 K I know you're not like trying to do anything with it per se, but I mean, to your point, it's just a life changer. It's, uh, it's, it's a life changer. Yeah. And, and so it, yeah, it was just surreal on that front, but on the like cultural shock, culture shock front, it felt pretty normal. Honestly, I was really excited. I'm sure I talked a lot because I was probably excited to talk to people and stuff. Yeah. But (laughs) they were probably like, yo, back up, dude, you smell, did you smell yourself at some point? (laughs) I probably smelled like smoke, which some people like. That's a great, that's such a good cologne, man. And it's, it is. Yeah. 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 What you're burning. Like the, 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 if I sit by a campfire in Montana, I smell like one thing. In Virginia, it's a whole different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like different no, lines of a, a cologne line. You actually don't get that bad of BO when you're in the wilderness a long time. Uh, I think your body somehow neutralizes it. But if you like 
if I take a shower and then I just sit out for a few days, then I'll definitely be stinking. But if you like, you're out in the woods, something about it, you kind of neutralize out. I don't know what it is. Yeah, but there's nothing more satisfying. And I can only imagine you'd have to worry about like clogging oh, your brain, yeah. being out 77 days. But like, if I'm out a week, a, a sauna is what I was wanting. A nice oh. hot sauna. And that's what yeah. I, we have like built one in, in Virginia. So that's yeah, we got one too. It's, 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 it's the greatest dude. It's, oh, you did. Awesome. Yeah. Last question, man. And again, thank you for being on. It's been great. What have you changed at all from the experience? Like, I know you've done it all, seen it all. So what's left to, you know, how no, could you grow? I mean, I wouldn't have done it all, seen it all. There's a lot to do and see and learn. And I, there's, I got a lot to learn on stuff, but, uh, have I changed from the experience? It's, it's opened a lot of doors for me that I would have otherwise not been able to go through, which has been awesome. I don't know that, you know, and then you go, you have those doors open and you have new experiences and those experiences can change you in hopefully positive ways, but I don't well, going know. On Rogue, going on Rogan had to be cool. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, no, that was, that was a blast. And it's, and that led to more, uh, I mean, more people watch Rogan than probably the show, I'm sure. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, may, yeah, maybe. And that's not to belittle a very successful Netflix no, show. No, it's a super oh. successful show. It's just uh, Joe Rogan's as successful as you get as far as media goes. So yeah. Well, was, that yeah. was pretty fun. And he was, I mean, as cool as he seems on the show, you know? Yeah. He seems, he seems <laughs> like a, a pretty time and all that. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so yeah, things like that. There's like a lot of new opportunities as far as what's changed. I haven't changed a lot other than that. You know, I still keep it pretty simple and stuff. And, uh, people recognize you. If I go to the, if I ever, yeah, if I feel, ever feel low and need an ego boost, I can go down to the local hunting goods store. That's the demographic that recognizes me. <laughs> That's great. Dude, well, uh, Jordan Jonas, winner of, uh, alone in the Arctic season six. Um, it's been a pleasure. He was on Joe Rogan. Check it out. If you haven't checked it out and now he's on the green light pod and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Jordan, if you ever down my way, holler at me, man, I appreciate you coming. Yeah, on. I will be. So thanks, Chris. It's been fun chatting.